Well, this morning, we, I'd like to introduce you to a man who's a, who, a blind guy, but this blind guy, really, we're going to discover, has 20-20 vision. 20-20 vision. You know, uh, we've been sing- we sang some great songs this morning, and uh, there's another great old hymn of the faith called Amazing Grace. I once was what? Blind, but now I see, was lost, but now I've been found. And you know, uh, blind people somehow have the ability to see things, I think, better. I've had a couple blind friends in my life. Uh, before I came to Canada, and it's amazing. They they both had a perception that probably those of us that sing don't have. And this blind guy is going to teach us a wonderful lesson. We don't know how old he was. The Bible doesn't tell us, but let's just take us. His parents said he was of age, so ask him. So let's just suppose he was 34 years of age today, okay? Can you imagine being born blind and not being able to see for 34 years? And then Jesus Christ comes by on this one day, and <clears throat> when his disciples are making fun of this man and saying, you know, who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus says this. Look at on your bulletin, verse 3. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. You know, this is an amazing day for this man. It's a special day. It's a special day where God in eternity past determined that on this day, Jesus was going to come by and take this man who's been born blind for 34 years. He's been walking in darkness. And God was going to display the power, the glory of Jesus Christ in his life on this day. So this was not just a great day on earth for this man to be able to receive his sight. This is a great day in heaven (laughs) because God has been waiting for this day to occur to reveal that Jesus Christ, in the very next verse, says, I am the light of the world, that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And he can make blind people able to see and to reveal the blindness in the hearts of those who even... Who can see? It's interesting as we go through this passage, we're going to discover that people don't get it. That he's going to meet, uh, you're going to meet his neighbors, you're going to meet his parents, you're going to meet the Pharisees, you're going to meet even the disciples. And they will not understand, they will not get the fact that this man has been healed and what God has done. You're going to see that the joy has been taken away. And yet, like some of our politicians say today, don't waste a good crisis, huh? They joke about, don't waste a good crisis. And this blind man would say, amen. Don't waste a good crisis. Because when God allowed me to be blind, he did it so that Jesus Christ could come by and do something very special. My friends, we want to discover today that sometimes life deals us the worst. The worst things that we could ever imagine come our way. But yet, when the worst happens, God wants us to become the best. He wants to change us so that we become radiant testimonies of Jesus Christ as the light of the world. I remember one of the greatest strategies I had to walk a family through was a young father in his early 40s who died of cancer. And yet this man was not a church-going man. And just before he died, and he was in the crisis of all this, he turned to his family and said, get me a preacher like my mama used to have. And I was the closest thing they could find. (laughs) And I came to visit this man and make a long story short. He became, God used that cancer to help him become a believer in Christ. When he died, his wife became a Christian. Her new husband became a Christian. His two daughters became believers. Their two fiancés became believers. And now God has a Christian family that did not exist before. But God used the worst thing this man could ever imagine, cancer coming into his life, to bring spiritual transformation, to bring the light of the world into his family. 
And you know, whatever you think is a crisis that goes on in your life, whatever you think is the worst thing that life has, has dealt you, we need to remember that Jesus wants to simply take the worst and to use it to make us the best. Now, if you have your Bibles, open to John chapter 9. Because in John chapter 9, this whole chapter is devoted to this story, and I'm not going to read, I'm just going to read the first 12 verses. But in John chapter 9 and verse 1, we're told that as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Uh, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground and he made some mud with his saliva and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the man who used to be, who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he said, and he insisted to himself, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. He said, I don't know. That must have been a wonderful day in that man's life. But as we go through this event where a man who is blind since birth is able to see, you're not going to see a whole lot of joy. In fact, if you look at the responses, you're going to meet the disciples. You're going to see his neighbors, his parents, even the religious establishment, and they don't have any joy on the fact that a man that was blind now can see, and they can't see it. The disciples, if you look at the disciples, look at some of the worst things that happened to this man. The disciples, they they had a theological curiosity, but they had no compassion. They turned to Jesus and said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? I mean, they're, they're... Curiosity was based on the Old Testament law in Exodus chapter 34. They, they took the verse that, you know, your sin will be punished to the third and fourth generations. They took this very literally and they said, therefore, this man was born blind. So somebody sinned, either his parents or his grandparents. And then they even created a new theology. They said, maybe this man, or did he sin before he was born? So maybe when he was in the mother's womb, this man sinned. I mean, the disciples really had theological intrigue as they go through this. But I ask as I read that, where is the compassion? Hmm? Aren't they compassionate on this poor man who is doomed to begging because he can't work, because he is blind? And as I read about these disciples, I think, you know, it's so easy to have a theological excitement about issues. It's so easy to dialogue about the scriptures and interpret what the meaning of the Bible says or how many angels can stand on the head of a pen. But it's much more difficult to look at a person in need and to reach out and to bless that person and to meet their need. And Jesus responds to the disciples in verse 4, where he says, he says in verse 3, he said, No, this was done so that what? The work of God might be done in his life. So that I might come today on my way to Jerusalem. Here I am in Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified in just a matter of weeks. 
so that people might recognize that I am the Son of God and see that I am the light of the world to them. You know, my friends, what is it about human nature that's easier to judge? It's easier to talk about a person's problem than it is to step forward and actually do something. Hmm? What is it about our human nature? You know, we all look at how people respond to, to the needs of people and say, well, you know, they should have done this, or they should have spent the money that way, or if I were in their place, I think I would have made this choice. But God bless that person, at least they did something. <laughs> right? They saw someone in need, and they did it. And Jesus wants to open the eyes of the disciples. But it's not about their curiosity. It's about showing compassion to this man. The second group of people that really don't pay attention to this man are his neighbors. If you look at verse, in the passage we read, the neighbors are debating, you know, who is this man? Is this the, the guy that we have seen in our neighborhood that maybe we have given a token gift to? And probably from time to time they'd walk by and they'd see this guy and they would throw him a, a few uh, coins or, or give him some food or, or break off a piece of bread and give it to him. So they would show, show some kind of charity to this man. But it's amazing, as you look at the debate, they say, is it the man that we see, or is it not the man that we see? Is it the same guy that we have seen? Let me ask you a question. Why were they confused over the identity of this man? I would think that they were confused because they didn't pay attention to him. They tokenized this man. They didn't take him seriously as a part of their society as a part of their friendship, as a part of their sphere of influence. And they tokenized their love so that so much that when he was healed and now he could see, they could not recognize who he is. You know, I, I find that is that is so easy in our world for that to happen. When we're going through a tough time, people at work, people at school, people in the neighborhood, maybe even people in my extended family can say, well, tell me about it. Give me the information. <laughs> But they never get involved in your life. They never get to know you. They never get to say, I want to solve that problem. And there's a general callousness that comes in to the situation. I remember working with a person who had a terminal sickness. And uh, it was in a secular business type of situation. And it's amazing how in the buzz of the office, a lot of people talked about the sickness that this person was going to. I wonder how much longer this person has to live. What are their doctors having to say? But nobody went to the house. No one took over food. No one tried to encourage this dear person. It's as if I'm a neighbor and I know you're there, but I really don't care about you. I really care more about knowing about you than doing something. And this man, this blind man, when he was healed, he discovered that that's what his neighbors were exactly like. That his neighbors wanted to know the information but they didn't really want to get involved in him now. I think the third group of people you would expect, you say, boy, his parents? Wow! <laughs> if anybody's going to care, it's going to be my mom and dad. But if you look in verse, verse look at verse 18. It says the, the, the religious leaders are having problems. So they grab the parents, and they, they want to validate that this man really was born blind. And the Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received a sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? 
We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he has been born blind. And how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. But ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. Look at verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. You know, isn't that amazing? Of all the people in the world that you would expect to come stand by your side in your hour of crisis would be your your parents, your mom and dad. But they were so afraid of the Jewish leadership and the establishment. They were fearful of being cast out of the the temple because they were acknowledging Jesus Christ. That they said, we don't know. Yes, he's our son. Yes, he was born blind. But who healed him? We don't know. I mean, he's of age. (laughs) You go ask him. You go ask him, not us. Go ask him. And here this man has parents that are factual, but they're fearful. And they really don't come through. And the fear of the religious establishment so intimidated his parents that they would shaft their own son to protect themselves. What is it about our human nature that we're like that? Hmm? What is it about human nature that I would preserve myself at the expense of even people that I love? I've been reading through First Samuel, meditating through it, and it's amazing that Jonathan was a good friend to David. And while David is being pursued by Jonathan's father, King Saul, Jonathan still finds ways to get messages, even through arrows, to his friend David. Even when David is on the run, he goes and finds him and says, God will take care of you. One day your kingdom will be established, and my dad's kingdom will be, will be uh, destroyed, and I will work for you as the king of the nation of Israel. And the only person that really was reaching out, when others were betraying him, when others were taking David's good and calling it evil, and even turning him into Saul after he blessed them, there was one man that was loyal, and that was Jonathan, who was his friends. And my friends, it is so rare when you go through your worst to see the loyalty of people. People will give you a nod, but will they really get involved in your life? And we will be disappointed. There's no one out there, even parents, even family members, even those we love who don't have the potential to hurt us. And yet Jesus is doing this so that we rely upon him as the light of the world. And then the last people that rejected him were the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees give the response that you, you would expect. In verse 16 and 17, uh, they, say, they say, This man is not from God, that is Jesus, for he did not keep the Sabbath. In other words, he healed this man, but man, he did it on the wrong day. <laughs> you know? I mean, no one else can heal the blind, but Jesus, he did it, but he can't be from God because he did it on the wrong day. He did it on the Sabbath. And then in verse 24, they turned to the the blind man, and they summoned him a second time. They said, man, give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? You know, how did he open your eyes? He said, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? 
Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, Jesus, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opens my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And look at their response in verse 34. To this they replied, You are steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They threw him out of the temple. What was the initial question? Who sent this man or his parents? And what's the last accusation thrown at this man? You're steeped in sin from birth. You're steeped from sin from birth. And the jealousy of the religious establishment for the mass appeal of Jesus, for his teaching that was so truthful, from the miracles that only God can do, so enraged the heart of their jealousy that they were even willing to damn to hell this blind man because they hated Jesus so much. Now, is that a story or what? I mean, doesn't anyone get excited that a blind man is able to see? (laughs) And I ask the question, where is the joy? (laughs) Where is the joy? I mean, we have lost the joy with the disciples in their controversy. We've lost the joy because the neighbors can't decide, is this the man or not? We've lost the joy because the parents are afraid of the religious establishment. We've lost the joy because the Pharisees are so consumed with jealousy and anger, they can't see what God is doing. My friends, it is so easy for us to look at our situation, to look at what is doing, even some of the good things that happen and not recognizing that all of this happened so that the work of God might be displayed displayed in this man, in your life, in your situation this way, so that Jesus might be revealed as the light of the world. The light of the world. Where is the joy? Where is the joy? What's the worst thing that's ever happened to you? Hmm? What is the worst thing that's ever happened to you? I know in our family experience, probably the the greatest stress point, we thought was a stress point, but it really wasn't, was when a single daughter became pregnant. And hearing her tell her story one night to us, and for the first time, and I'm sitting there saying, I've got to respond correctly. <laughs> this is a once-in-a-lifetime conversation. And being an old man, I had to go to the bathroom, so I got up and left the room. <laughs> and while I was out of the room, as if God hit me on the head and said, idiot, you're going to have a grandchild. <laughs> you're going to have a grandchild. And you got to go back in that room and start celebrating the fact that this is a momentous occasion for you and your family. Now, we have five grand- five and a half grandchildren, <laughs> one on the way, and all of them live in Canada except this one. And this is the one that we get to spend the most time with. And this little girl has been a delight to our lives. It's changed her her mother's life. It's changed our lives. We have all been changed through knowing her and going through this experience together. And what we thought was the worst 
was in reality the best. Can we see the joy in our situation that God is at work to display His glory, His light to us and to others through the worst so that we might become the best? Well, how do I do that? Well, let me give you two suggestions as we wrap it up. If that's the worst that could happen to this man, what is the best? Well, I would give us two suggestions. The first suggestion is one, in your situation, just as this man did, reveal Christ. I love it. And Jesus responded in verse 3. He said, why did this happen? Neither this man sinned nor his parents, but this happens that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And then Jesus says in verse 4, uh, he says, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no man can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. <laughs> you see, what is Jesus saying? He says, we've got to use everything that comes into our life, even, even the blindness that this man has endured since he was born, to take the worst stuff that comes and to flip it in such a way that God is at work in it so that it reveals that Jesus Christ is the light of the world to other people. And I think by the way we accept it, by the way we see God working through it, and by how God reveals himself as the light of the world through our situations. It's amazing. The only person who celebrated in this passage was the man that was healed in Jesus Christ. (laughs) Because at the end of the text, Jesus goes to this man and he says, sir, he says, have they thrown you out of the temple? He says, I haven't thrown you out. And he explained that I am the Messiah. And the man believed in him and worshipped him. You see, Jesus just wanted to use this man and his sorrow to reveal the glory of who Christ is in his heart. Nobody else got it. Nobody else understood it. Even those who claimed they love him. But only the God in heaven and that man really understood that it was a vehicle to reveal the glory of God to people. You know, we look at tapestries as something that are woven together and made to be very beautiful. But if you flip a tapestry around and look at the back, what do you see? You see a bunch of different colored threads going different directions, tied in knots with frayed ends hanging down. It's not very attractive, is it? And sometimes that's how life looks, isn't it? It's misconstrued. You can't figure it out. Frays and knots. But you flip all that stuff around, and what do you see? You see the beautiful thing that God has created in our lives for other people to see. You know, one of the key points of this verse, this passage is, who really is blind? (laughs) Is it the blind guy? Jesus winds up the whole chapter by saying, no, it's you guys. Because you claim you can see, and you'll be judged, but in reality, you are the ones that were blind. I have known two blind men in my life before I came to Canada. And one guy, it was, it was about him, you know, take care of my needs, because I'm blind. The other guy, he took his blindness later in life that came to him, and he used it as a means of the gospel. He worked for the children, for Christian Blind Mission in Canada. He went around the world, uh, giving, telling his story and helping other people. And on our last trip to Canada, I took this blind guy out to lunch. Out to, uh, yeah, out to lunch. And as we were walking into the store, I mean, he's on my arm, and everybody notices that this guy is blind because he's holding my arm and he can't see. But yet, if they could sit down and listen to the conversation, 
they'd realize that he, he sees a lot better than they do. And I said, Don, do you have any regrets about going blind? He says, oh, I miss sight like everybody else does. But God used my blindness in his early 40s to so change his life. He said, I would never want to go back. Never want to go back. And God has given him the privilege of using his blindness to reveal Christ. To spread the light of the world to people that probably would never have known it if he hadn't gone blind. The last One of the last ladies I buried in Canada before I came south was a dear woman who had six weeks, 56 weeks to know that she was going to die. Diagnosed with her husband just retired, and they were going to enjoy life together, and she was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And six weeks later, she died. And I thought, boy, this lady's going to be a basket case, but she wasn't. <laughs> I mean, she started saying, God, you brought this into my life. You're calling me home early, but use it to your glory. Use my life as a witness, as a testimony. Reveal yourself through me. That was her prayer. She even had told her husband, get remarried when I'm gone, because <laughs> you're too young. You'll need somebody else. And there's an apartment, a lady in her apartment building. They lived in a high-rise in, outside of Toronto who was not a Christian but knew this lady casually. And when she heard she was sick, she took by some food one day to the family. And they invited this family, this girl, to come in. And they enjoyed the meal together. And then she said, please come back. Please come back again. And this lady started a relationship. And that woman, who did not know God, became a believer in Christ because of the testimony of this woman who was dying. My friends, there's a God in heaven who knows not just the front of a tapestry, he knows the back. And he's weaving it with his purposes in mind to create something that is so beautiful that only God could do it, that is intended to reveal to other people that he is the light of the world. So I think, first of all, in your situation, reveal Christ. Secondly, my suggestion would be, is that you help these blind people. You know, the man answered these folks in verse 30. He says, now that is remarkable. (laughs) You don't know where Jesus comes from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now, what did they do? They ended up throwing him out of the temple. You know, the point of the passage is, who really is blind? There are a lot of people walking around, a lot of people in churches even today, that think they can see, that think they know God, that think they know what is right and what is wrong. But probably we don't, because we don't know who Jesus Christ is, and we've allowed our situation to so overwhelm us that we don't get it. That's why one of our favorite biblical characters is Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers, brutalized by his family, hoping he would die. When he gets a job in Potiphar's house, he was so faithful that Potiphar's house increases in wealth. And yet his wife seduces him, and when he refuses, makes false accusations against him, he is shafted at work. And then he goes into prison and interprets dreams, and reveals to this butler that he will be restored, and says, remember me when you are coming to the kingdom again. And he is forgotten by a man that he is blessed. And yet at the end of his career, when his brothers come to him, and reveals himself to them, he says, my friends, what what you meant for evil... God is meant for the good. 
to deliver our nation, our family. And God used Jake, Joseph, to go from bondage from the land of Palestine to Egypt for the famine to take place, to bring his family down to preserve them. And in the womb of Egypt, that nation, that, that, that group of 70 family members developed into a mighty nation in the millions. And in the Exodus, God took them out to start fulfilling the promises that God had for them. My friends, Joseph wanted his brothers who had hurt him to see that they were blind and to stop and see the purposes that God had for their life and for their family. And I think the best way for us to do is to help people see it. And like Joseph and like this bland guy, we got to say, that's remarkable. <laughs> I mean, you're seeing this thing all wrong. This guy is able to make me able to see, and you don't know where he comes from. Don't you get it? And we all have disciples. We have Christian guys like the 12 disciples who even don't get it. We even have neighbors who tokenize us. We have family members that don't take us seriously. We have those that are out to get us, like the religious leaders here in this passage. And yet they're all watching us. And they can't dispute the fact that there's a God in heaven who is working through us to reveal that he is the light of the world in our situation. My friends, what is the worst thing they could throw at us? Whatever it is. The intention is, by God's grace, to make us the best, to change us to be like Him. We had a dear friend who had a tumor grow behind his eye. And the only way they could radiate that tumor was to go through his eyeball. They didn't have the technology back then that they have today. So he lost the sight in that eye. He gave up the sight in his eye to shrink that tumor. Fortunately, it saved his life. He said before that event, he said, I've been in doctor's offices and hospitals. He says, before that event, he says, I was scared to death of a hospital. Before this thing happened, I was scared to death to walk into a funeral home. If someone died, I'd tell my wife, you go visit everybody. I don't want to go. But he said, God used this traumatic thing in his life and the saving of his life through this treatment to make him bold, where if he hears somebody's in the hospital, let me go visit this person. (laughs) If someone has a crisis and someone has to go to the funeral home, he wants to go. Because he recognized that once I was blind, but now I see. And he wants people to see the light of the world, Jesus, through him. What do you think of that story? Isn't that an amazing story? 34 years, blind, For what purpose? So that one day Jesus might walk by, make some mud, put in his eyes, and reveal his glory as the light of the world to everyone watching. If Jesus did that with a blind man, what's he want to do through you? What's he want to do through your skeptics, through your neighbors, through your family members, through those who criticize you? What does God want to do in your life and through you? My friends, he wants to make your worst and change you, use it to change you into the best because he wants to reveal himself through you. I have a problem in my front yard, and the problem is is that the trees have grown so much that the grass doesn't get enough sunshine, doesn't get enough light, and so the grass is getting thin. 
It's gotten so thin that uh, when my relatives come to visit, they trample the grass down, and now it's making little muds, mud things coming down. It's all my brother's fault. And it doesn't get enough sun, so the grass doesn't grow, and I didn't know how to change it. And so finally, Friday afternoon, Friday afternoon, I, I got home from work, and I thought, I'm going to fix it. I mowed the grass, cleaned everything up, and I went and tilled these bad spots, and I put some fresh topsoil down, and I went to parts of the yard where I didn't want the grass, and I dug up that grass and came, and I plugged it all, and it was ready to go. And then God sent rain Friday afternoon, and the showers came. And I thought, this is great, you know, but I thought it still not, doesn't get enough sun. You know, it might grow, it might get some water, but it's not going to happen. And then as we were inside the house, I heard a crack. And I went outside, and a major branch on a tree in my front yard was hanging down in the wrong direction. So yesterday afternoon, after it quit raining, I went out there, and I got a weight on the end of a rope, and I threw it up there, and I got the rope to go around this branch, and I pulled and pulled, and finally I couldn't get it going, so I thought, I'll get it rocking. And I got this branch rocking, and finally, crack and thump, this major branch came down. And you know what I saw? The sunshine. (laughs) The light was coming down on this grass that wasn't there before. And I cleaned that mess up, and I mowed the yard, and it's all clean again. And I just couldn't help but every time I walked by that part of the house to stop and look out the window and see the sunshine coming down on that piece of grass that my brother had ruined, you know. And now, and now it's going, the grass is going to grow again. And I couldn't help think about my sermon today. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Do what you can. Put in the topsoil. Throw in some plugs. But you got to trust me. You got to trust me. Because the day is going to come by when I walk by and I make some mud and we'll put it in your eyes. And not only are you going to see, but other people will be able to see that I am the light of the world if you will just trust me. My friends, whatever your worst is, God wants to use it to make you the very best to reveal that he is the light of the world.